You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Okay. So this morning, I want to do something a little bit different, at least for me. I'm going to step completely out of my character and be totally undisciplined, unorganized, because (coughs) uh, the Lord has put something on my heart. Actually, several months ago, this thing has been stirring up in my heart. Uh, (coughs) And last, last week at the men's meeting, Eric Johnson, gave a really good, excellent meditation on being created in the image of God. And I want to take that a step further. And I want to share this morning something that I think we've been slipping away from a little bit, mostly. And we really need to come back to it. And what I want to talk about today is this. Jesus is alive. We all know that. But Jesus is alive in us. And I want to talk about (coughs) what it is to have Jesus alive in us and how he's working to conform us to his image. And I want to take a little walk. (coughs) We're going to be in the the book of Galatians this morning. Everyone can turn to Galatians. We're going to take a little walk through the whole book. Not every verse, but we'll be making some stops at significant places. So (coughs) let's begin by prayer. (coughs) Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is alive, it's quick, it penetrates into the deepest part of our being. And I pray, Lord, that (coughs) you would guide us this morning, that you would help us, that you anoint our ears, anoint our hearts so that we may hear uh, what you're saying to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me, Lord, I can't do this alone. And I trust you, Lord, to guide my words (coughs) Guide my thoughts for the edification of your body this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin in Galatians chapter 1 and beginning at verse 11. And this is what Paul says. I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel preached, that I, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man. I was not taught it. Rather, I received it by a revelation from Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my <clears throat> previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among <clears throat> my people. And I was extremely zealous into the, the traditions of my fathers. We'll stop here. Uh, <clears throat> Paul begins out saying that the gospel that I preach, I did not receive from man. The gospel that I preach, oops, <laughs> I can see it. The gospel that I preach came from a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter says the same thing. When Peter comes and confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord said to him, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the gospel actually is a revelation. And when we go to speak to people, I know, because <coughs> it's the same to, it's, it's true to me also, we're scared. <laughs> Come up to somebody you don't know, you never saw before, you begin to speak to them. Well, the thing to remember is, it's not us who's speaking. God has prepared their hearts. God has prepared um, <clears throat> their hearts. God has prepared everything. And he's just, just using as, us as a vessel to speak to other people. So we don't have to be so afraid about that. We're not alone in this. And <clears throat> one of the things that Paul says here, he actually says it twice. He says, for, I have <clears throat> for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism in Judaism. Some translate, you've heard my way of life in the Jews' religion. Now we have to understand what Paul is referring to here was once the revelation of God to man. Remember how Moses went up the mountain, got the revelation of the Ten Commandments, he came down and the people had the law, the people knew what God wanted them to do. But by Paul's day, what was once the revelation of God to man degenerated into what Paul refers to here as the Jews' religion or Judaism. And I just wonder, <laughs> just wonder that if in our day, that, that which we know as the revelation of God to man in Jesus Christ hasn't degenerated into the Christian's religion. The gospel is a revelation. And he says, I did not receive this uh, <coughs> from man. Uh, <coughs> but uh, let's go down to verse 15 now. And the first word in 15 is but. And it's probably one of the biggest buts <laughs> in the Bible. I was zealous persecuting the church, but 
when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. But when God was pleased, who called me from my mother's womb. Now Paul's not the only one that has been called from his mother's womb. <laughs> Jeremiah was called from his mother's womb. Maybe Isaiah. And actually, probably all of us have been called from our mother's womb that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now what Jesus did Paul preach? He preached <clears throat> the Jesus that was revealed in him. And we really shouldn't underestimate this. Christ is alive in us. And he manifests, he has chosen us to manifest himself to the world. And that's what we're here for. Um, <clears throat> let's go down to the bottom of the chapter. In verse 21, <clears throat> it says, uh, verse 22, <clears throat> I was personally unknown to the churches of Judah that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. Would we even dare think something like that? That somebody could glorify God because of me? Would we write it in a book for all men and all angels and all demons and God himself to read? and they glorified God because of me. Now think back, that kind of sounds tremendous, but if we think back, the person who led you to the Lord, actually when he led you to the Lord, we ended up glorifying God because of that person. And it's not <coughs> crazy to think that God, that people can glorify God because of us. That's what God has called us to do. That's what it means to have Christ in us. God, <coughs> people have glorified God because of us, because they have seen what Jesus has done to change us. And <clears throat> it wouldn't be too far-fetched just to <clears throat> really think about that. Now, we do have the possibility, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us so that when we speak, people will glorify God. Let's move in <clears throat> now to chapter two. Uh, and let's go down to verse 19. 
This is one of the main verses in the whole <coughs> of Ephesians, uh, of, of Galatians. For I, through the law, died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came, <coughs> could be gained through the, through the law, Christ died in vain. Now this one, <coughs> I'm gonna spend a little bit of time on. <laughs> I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of, the Son of God. That actually could be translated the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. We have nothing that hasn't been given to us. And I often hear, <laughs> often hear in, in churches, even heard it here, <laughs> we need to die to ourselves. You know, we have to die to ourselves. God, Paul says, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. Well. If we try to die to ourselves, we're gonna end up with a nervous breakdown for two reasons. One, you cannot crucify yourself. Nobody can crucify himself. The other is you cannot redo something that's already been done. Every time Paul in his letters talks about dying to self or being crucified with Christ, he always talks about it in the past tense. I have been, I have been. Now when did this happen? This happened when Jesus himself died on the cross. We were in Christ when Jesus died on the cross and we died with him. This is what Romans 6 is all about. Adam was the head of the human race. So whatever happened to Adam happened to us. Jesus, who is the last Adam, is the head of a new race. And whatever happened to Jesus happened to us. So when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. That's when Romans 6, probably won't take time to read it now, probably should, but verse 11 of Romans 6 is probably the most important verse because before that he's saying, <clears throat> don't you know that you have been baptized, you have been baptized into his death, you've been baptized into his resurrection, Christ died once for all <clears throat> for the sins. And he says, count on these things. These are things that have been done. Count on these things. We have been crucified with Christ. Now, 
the fact that we have been crucified with Christ, does that mean we, don't, we can't sin anymore? No. Oops. Does not mean we cannot sin anymore. Remember <coughs> Joseph, when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he said, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. Cannot is made up of two words, can and not. So it, yes, it is very possible that Joseph could have went with Potiphar's wife, but he didn't. And when we mess up and when we trip up, <coughs> when we get tempted and we fall, remember, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The main thing about being dead to self, or being crucified with Christ, is that our heart, the direction of our heart is not toward sin, it's toward God. So even though we may sin, that is not the direction that our heart is going in. Our heart is toward God. So there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is healing. Uh, uh, in that. If you want to go more deeply into this, I can suggest a book to you. One of the real Christian classics. It's called <coughs> The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee isn't very well known probably these days, but uh, we should reacquaint ourselves with him. He's written some really good stuff. And <coughs> so here Paul is saying, I have been, we have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Now that's kind of a strange thing to say. I do not frustrate the grace of God. How can we frustrate the grace of God? We frustrate the grace of God <coughs> by not believing what he's told us. By falling back, trying to save ourselves again by our good works and our good behavior, we frustrate the grace of God. <coughs> Paul says, no, I have been crucified. I am a new person. I am a different person. I am dead to sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. That's what Romans 6 says. Okay, <coughs> let's go on to <coughs> chapter 3. The very first verse of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before <coughs> your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Wow. Jesus Christ has clearly been portrayed before you as crucified. The Galatians were not at the crucifixion. It's very doubtful that the Galatians were not, were not at the crucifixion. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying here that Jesus Christ has been so real in my preaching. 
He has been so fully manifested in my preaching. He has been presented as crucified before you. You have seen Jesus crucified in me. What do people see when they see us? What do you think people see when they see, <laughs> when they see us? Do they see Christ crucified? That's a very real possibility. There's a very real possibility. Christ, we have been crucified with Christ when we speak. The Holy Spirit manifests through us. Christ has been crucified. Okay, now we're getting <coughs> to some of the gutsy parts. Let's go over to chapter four. Uh, <coughs> chapter four and verse 12. <coughs> I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You did, not, you did me no wrong. As you know, I was, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though through my illness, though my illness was a trial for you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn Instead, you welcomed me <clears throat> as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. I don't know if you've ever heard of <coughs> William Law. William Law was <clears throat> a preacher in the 1700s, a contemporary of Wesley and Whitfield. And there was this church outside of London, didn't have a pastor, so every week they would invite someone different to come in and do the service. And <clears throat> there was a maid there that had to do all the cooking and all the cleaning up after these preachers have come. And <clears throat> she went up maybe to the butcher shop on maybe Thursday or Friday. She was cleaning uh, <clears throat> to the butcher saying, oh, we have another one coming this week. I have to feed them and I have to clean up after them. It's just another one coming. And William Law came, gave his message, went. This maid went up to the <coughs> butcher maybe on Tuesday to pay the bill like they did back in those days. And the butcher asked her, who did you say you had staying with you this weekend? She said, we had Jesus Christ staying with us this weekend. William Law. And we're probably not very aware of this, and we probably should be more aware of it, that Jesus, who is alive in us, does manifest his presence through us to other people. Don't underestimate that. We are. God's testimony on this earth. And so <coughs> we should be aware that Christ is really alive in us. He walks with us, he walks with us, he leads us, he guides us, and we hear his voice uh, <coughs> inside of us. Now let's go on a little further, whoops. 
got it. Let's go on to chapter six. And here there are some <coughs> really important things that are, I said chapter six and verse 16. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now what is Paul saying here? He's saying, <coughs> let me not boast in anything except the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. Now what does that mean? Whenever there was a crucifixion, there may have been many people who would come and witness this crucifixion. But some hours after the crucifixion, nobody would dare to go to that cross. Because sometime after the crucifixion, the vultures of the air would come and eat the flesh of that person that was still on the cross. It was an ugly, ugly thing. Nobody would go there. And that's what Paul is saying. That is what the world looks like to me. The world looks like to me that man that has been crucified on the cross and the vultures have came and eat, ate, eaten his flesh. Now what does the Bible actually mean about the world? The world? When I was growing up, we used to talk about, you know, don't be in the world. And in those days, the world <coughs> consisted of dancing and drinking and chewing gum. If you don't dance, you don't drink, you don't chew gum, you're free from the world. <laughs> That's not what Paul is referring to as the world. What Paul is referring to as the world here is the world system. We usually don't look at it that way, but that's what it is. It's the world system. It's the financial system. It's the political system. It's the banking system. And Paul says all of that is corrupt. All of it, to me, is like that man that was standing, uh, that man that was crucified several hours later when his flesh had been eaten. And we have, often we have a funny idea of the world. We try to reduce the world to things. Don't do this, don't do that. Don't do anything. <clears throat> but that's not what the world is. In the first chapter, we didn't read it, in the first chapter of Galatians, <clears throat> it said Jesus has delivered us from the corruptness, the evilness of this world. That's why he came. He delivered us from the evil of this world. And we don't have to be afraid of the world. We have, probably shouldn't share this in public, but I, at the mission where we are, <coughs> once in a while, maybe once a week, all, almost once a week, some of the people get together and they're gonna watch a film. But they always watch a Christian film. Always watch a Christian film. And I said to Lloyd, my wife, how tempted I am to go out there and invite everybody 
to see a film that is not a Christian film. To give them an eye view of what the world, what's going on in the world. When you do that, when we cut ourselves off, we have no way of communicating to the people that live in that world. And <clears throat> we do need to know what's going on in that world, in, in the world. Uh, <clears throat> when we were in Italy, we did weekend couples retreats. We did it for 16 years. And we did it twice, uh, twice, no. Yeah, twice a year, we did it twice a year. And the way we did it, if I told you, I won't tell you now, I might tell you another time, if I told you actually what we did, every woman in this church would wanna go and drag their husbands along with them. We made it very <coughs> interreactive and very romantic. It's a very romantic time. But one of the things I did, I did, <coughs> I did a seminar, seminar on the education of children. And what I would always say <coughs> when we came to the end of the seminar, I would always say, now I want every one of you to go out and watch the film. Ready? <laughs> watch the film, The Dead Poet Society. That is a powerful film, especially. Uh, <coughs> I've seen it probably a hundred <laughs> times. I cry every time I see it. It is very powerful. You cannot force your children to be like you. You have to know their heart and, uh, <clears throat> and know what their, uh, what their gifts are. And that's what we need to know. We need to be aware. I come from, a, uh, I was many years in a, church, in a country that was extremely cultured, very high culture. We were always going to places, we were always seeing things. And <coughs> we were involved in the culture. We studied history, we studied Italian history. We studied art, we studied music. Because these are the, this is part of Italian history, we have to know these things. Every street, in every town, even the biggest metropolises and the smallest towns, Every street in Italy is named for somebody. I said, we have to know who these people are so we can minister to them. And Paul says, yeah, the world to me is like that man that has been crucified. I'm not gonna be involved in it, but I'm gonna know it. I'm gonna know it. And now we come <coughs> to our last stop is probably the most difficult and the most personal to me, and it will be um, probably for many of you as well. Oops, can't see. It's verse 17. 
From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my, in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now what's that all about? That sounds crazy. One of the really great blessings of living word is that it's a church that is not caved into itself. It's a church that always has, even from the beginning, had a worldwide vision. We support many missionaries. Missionaries have come here, stood behind this very pulpit, and shared the amazing, tremendous things that God is doing in the whole world. But there's one thing, <laughs> there is one thing that missionaries will not share with you or very rarely will share with you. And I'm gonna do it now. <laughs> they do not share the amount of tears they shed, the amount of suffering, the intense spiritual battle that they've gone through before they saw any of those breakthroughs. When you go to the mission field, not only the mission field, even here, when you go to the mission field, especially if you're involved in church planting, you're in the upfront front. You're on the lines where people get shot, people get shot at. And missionaries do get shot and they do get wounded. But who do they have to go to? And this is kind of what led us into <coughs> going into Christian counseling. It wasn't so much for the people, it was for wounded missionaries. I came home on furlough one time and I don't know how many pastors we met, actually ex-pastors, that left the pastorate because they were wounded. They got wounded. And so from then, <coughs> we began to minister to our fellow missionaries who are on the front lines, got wounded. And unfortunately, the deepest wounds the bitterest tears, the wounds that take the longest to heal do not come from enemy fire. They come from friendly fire. And when we're in heavily in counseling, counselors <coughs> are always in contact with other counselors uh, to get advice and to <coughs> share things, get help and <coughs> I was in contact with Someone that was at the mission, no longer at the mission now. He was head of counseling at the mission. And I shared some things with him. One time I was going through a really hard time. And he suggested I read a book. So I got this book and I read it. And it was a real help. It really was a big help. I don't know if I'd uh, recommend this book to everybody. 
It was written by a Christian psychiatrist, and there are a couple of places in there where it gets kind of uh, technical, but not many. And the title of the book is somewhat amusing, very provocative, and also at the same, t same time very sad. The title of the book is Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? Christians are the only specimens in the entire creation that do that. And it really, <coughs> we really shouldn't be doing that. We should be helping people heal. Jesus is the healer. One of the things I would never say in counseling, <laughs> I would never say this, but I think it quite often, and it's probably quite cruel, probably quite cruel. No matter what suffering we have been through, no matter what tribulation, no matter what pain, it's nothing to be compared to the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross. And that's why Jesus is our healer, he's our comforter, he's our restorer, because he's been through everything we have ever been through. And we really need to be careful <coughs> because Christ in us, the Jesus that is in us is the healer. He's the restorer. He's the one who restores our soul. David said in Psalm uh, 119, he said, it was a good thing for me to be afflicted because now I obey your precepts. And it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing at all. So Jesus, the Jesus that is alive in us, the Jesus that is constantly um, <coughs> forming his image in us. Most of us could probably quote Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those that love God called according to his purpose. But how many of us can quote Romans 8.29, those he called, he also predestined to be conformed to his image. And that is the work that God is doing in us all the time. He's working to conform us to his image. I just wanna say one last thing here. <clears throat> How does he conform us to his image? There are several things that God can use to conform us to his image. But probably one of the main things he conforms, uh, he uses to conform us to his image is his word. Now, I wanna give a little parenthesis here. <laughs> you wouldn't know this by looking at me. You wouldn't know this by even talking to me maybe sometime but I actually am the charismatic of all charismatics. In those early days, probably a lot of you don't 
know, but in those early days, to be a charismatic really cost you something. Because the fundamental conservative evangelicals were fighting tooth and nail against the charismatic movement. And we did go through a lot of things, but it was the word. Now, <coughs> I say that because I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I believe in prophecy, I believe in healing, I believe, I mean, this congregation has some really uh, anointed prophets, and we thank God for that. But you cannot build your life on spiritual gifts. You build your life on the Word of God. Derek Prince always used to say all the time, the Word without the Spirit is dead orthodoxy but the spirit without the word is wildfire. And neither one of them serves. So God does use his word. In Psalm 138, verse two, incredible verse, he says, the Lord exalted his word above his name. The Lord exalted his word above his name. That's how important God's word is to us. God uses his word to conform us to his image. Another thing God uses to conform us to his image <laughs> is the men's meeting or the ladies' meeting. Seems to me that since the pandemic, the men's meeting and the ladies' meeting have kind of taken the place of home meetings. And we really, what I'm really saying here is one of the ways that God conforms us conforms us to his images by fellowship. By fellowship. We cannot grow by ourselves. We need fellowship. Uh, <clears throat> and not just here on Sunday morning, we need a time when we can be a little bit more intimate, open our hearts and share what we, ref what we really feel inside. And probably the main thing that God uses to conform us to his image is affliction and suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Because by it, that's how God conforms us to his image. And the main reason that we're saved, the main reason that we're here as a church, the main reason <clears throat> that we're Christians at all, is to be conformed to his image and manifest that image to the world around us. So, can I pray for you? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for <coughs> that, uh, that you live in us, that your spirit dwells in us that you're continually working and forming us, even through difficult times, even through the hardest of times. We see those things that are hard and difficult, but you see them as good for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, help us to be closer to one another. Help us to be closer to you. Help us to walk closer to you Help us to be open to <clears throat> what you're saying to us, 
what you're doing in us, what you're calling us to do, Lord. May we be so totally committed to you <coughs> that we truly will be one with you and one with one another. And I pray, Lord, that you bless each of us, you bless this church, cause it to grow, cause it to be more powerful in its outreach, whether it's in Philadelphia or places around the world. Help us to be sensitive, Lord, to the needs of one another, to the needs of our missionaries out on the field. And we just give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor, because you are worthy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to close this book. Thank you.